the community a few times during our dating years. Uh, I remember staying upstairs with uh, Kelvin at James's house, and uh, one night he uh, he jumped up and started pulling clothes on, and I was kind of half awake. I said, "Is it time for breakfast?" No, 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 no. You stay sleeping. <laughs> I'm going on an ambulance call, <laughs> and I, I thought it was time for breakfast, and I had overslept. <laughs> I remember going down and visiting with Jero in the shop while Esther was teaching school. And, and uh, yeah, it's just sad that he's not here with us today, but I'm, I'm sure he's uh, enjoying heaven. Of course, then, when I moved to Gladys, we interacted through the last 26 years, uh, different times. And, and I have very fond memories of uh, youth camp a few years back with... Uh, with your youth here. That was a very special time. I, I have fun memories of that. So I'm happy to be here with you all. Um, I'm not sure that we need too much introduction to most of you. For the, those of you that don't know us, uh, Esther and I have four children, ages 25 to 18, and uh, they're all at home except our second oldest uh, daughter just Got married about a month ago and moved to Kitchener, Ontario. So uh, we're starting a new phase in our family. The subject this weekend is God's plan for the home is kind of the theme that we want to zero in on. And uh, there'll be three messages. You know, God's plans are, are always much bigger than our plans, and that hardly needs to be said. We know that, but it is, it is just that way. Everywhere we look, everything we think of, his, his plans, his view of things is so much bigger than ours. You know, he sees the past, the present, and the future with equal clarity. You know, for us, we kind of understand the past somewhat, and we like to think we understand the present, but the future, we're, you know, we're clueless. But he, he sees them all with equal clarity, and, uh, and that's, that just boggles our minds right there, but that's our God. The home is important, part of God's plan. You know, he uses uh, the same terms for relationships in the home and, and in his church. He talks about father and son, brother and sister, bride and bridegroom. He uses these same terms. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 139. We see here uh, again that the home is important to God. Uh, we'll just read a few verses. This is a familiar passage. We'll pick up at verse 14 of Psalm 139. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! I'll stop there. You know, 
The home is very important to God because people are very important to God. God places never dying souls into our arms as mothers and fathers. And if that doesn't make you tremble a bit, it sure should, that Almighty God trusts you with a never-dying soul to take and to teach, to nurture, to love, and to discipline this never-dying soul that will spend eternity somewhere. That should really make our hearts as mothers and fathers tremble. The home is important to God. He hates divorce. He hates homes that break apart. He tells us that in Malachi 2. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. We are to only to marry in the Lord because the home is important to God. We're taught that in scripture that fathers are to love their children. Children are to obey their parents. Proverbs 30 verse 17 says this, The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. That's God's judgment on children that despise and mock their parents. You know, God has a very soft spot in his heart for homes that that are not normal as we would think of a normal home. You know, the fatherless and the widows, the Israel was judged severely for anything amiss that they did to the fatherless and the widows. They were to keep them in mind when they harvested their fields, when they paid their tithes. They were never, never, ever to take advantage of the fatherless and the widows. You know, there's, there's different characters in, in the Bible that we know so well, and, and, and quite a number of them did not have normal homes as we would think. Uh, Queen Esther, you know, not a normal home. Uh, Daniel, not a normal home. It was probably normal for maybe a number of years, but, but at a young age, it was no longer normal. Moses. Anything but normal in his home. Samuel, at a very young age, nothing normal about his home. But these children were important to God, and God met their needs, and God saw them through, and they were mighty people for God. So there's hope for you and I and for our families and our children. Whether, whether we find ourselves in a normal situation or not, we're, we're still serving the same God. And he can see us through. Matthew 18.6. Jesus says this. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones. Which believeth in me. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck. And that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. That's how God feels about these little children. And so we better take it serious. Now Satan always tries to, to mess up God's plan. That's just how he works. That's just what he's all about. And that's what he's doing today. You know, we're thankful that Satan is not all-knowing like our God is. In uh, 1 Corinthians 2.8 says this, 
which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Satan didn't realize what he was doing when he killed Jesus, and we are so thankful he didn't. I do believe that Satan does know some things about the future. I believe Satan does know that that he is headed for eternal torment. I think he knows that. And I do think that Satan knows that Jesus is going to spend the endless years of eternity with his bride, the church. And that does not make Satan happy. And I think every time Satan sees a happy Christian home, it reminds him that that's Jesus' future and mine is eternal torment. And so he tries to do anything he can to get that picture out of his mind, to somehow mess with that happy family to get that picture so he don't have to look at a happy home. He'll do anything. He'll destroy, damage, pervert, fragment, anything he can do to destroy that happy home. And your home and my home is no exception. He's trying there just as hard as anywhere else. He will do anything that is within his power to to ruin our homes. He knows that that a broken home has far-reaching consequences, not just in this life and the future generations, but eternity. He knows that, and that's what he's about. So that's kind of the introduction to, to our message here this evening. The title of the message this evening is Christianity That Works at Home. You know, it grieves my heart that there are so many broken homes in our communities. And I would guess if I'd ask here tonight, there's probably hardly anyone here that, does, that needs to go beyond uncles and aunts and cousins to find a broken home. There may be a few of you that, that can go a little farther than that, but far too many of us uh, don't have to go near that far to find broken homes, and that's sad. Most of us have close friends that we grew up with, that we went to church with, that we fellowshiped with, and now they're part of a, a fragmented home. Then there are Christian homes where, you know, breaking up, leaving is not an option. You know, that's wrong. You don't do that. But, but the tension and the dysfunction and the disagreements and the disunity are there. And for all practical purposes, it is a broken home, but they're just living in the same house. You know, he's a pretty good Sunday school teacher. He leads songs, and he's, he's kind of a nice guy to be around. But things don't go well at home. You know, she has a real gift for hospitality. She's, she's a nice lady to, to be around. She wants to serve the Lord, it seems like. But at home, she's a very different person, and things don't go well at home. You know, maybe that doesn't describe your home or my home. But we, we all know how easy it is to go through the day and smile and, and be pleasant. But then we come home, 
And at home, we're just kind of who we are, and we get to be a little bit irritable, and, and things don't go quite as well. You know, we can be very understanding with the teller at the bank that makes a mistake. But what if our wife overdraws a checking account, you know? Can we take that with the same respectful smile and just overlook it? Probably, probably not. Young people, you know, when you're with your friends and you're having a good time, you're just very pleasant to be around. But then at home, you can be a little snippy with your little sister or your big brother or whatever. Um, is, that, is that how it is? I think you know what I'm talking about. You know, we must face the reality that the, the patterns of behavior in, in the four walls of our home have far-reaching consequences, and we cannot deny that. They do. The consequences go out into the church, into the community, and out into the future generations when things do not go well at home. I've come to the conclusion that a Christian life that is not working at home is just not working. It's just not working. If we're a pleasant person everywhere except at home, we're a hypocrite. Our Christianity is not working. If it doesn't work at home, it's not working. So why is it that we struggle to be Christ-like at home? You know, we're there early in the morning. We're there late in the evening. And probably most of us here struggle with one of those times, one or the other. Probably most of us, uh, probably maybe about half of us like the mornings, and we can be pretty happy and get along fine in the morning, but... Once we get tired, we just get a little grouchy. Or some of the others, it takes two, three hours to wake up, and we can be a little grouchy in the morning, but then in the evening, we rolling right along and can do quite well. Most of us can identify with one or the other of, of those times. And I think that's part of this tension at home. You know, many of us men... We give the best part of our day either to the employer or the employees or to the customers or whatever our vocation is. The best part of our day goes there. And then our family gets, gets what's left. What's left of our ability to be patient or to see humor in difficulty or to... to uh, keep our emotions in check when, when things go wrong. We, we've been doing that all day. And now we're home. And now we can just kind of vent our emotions a bit. You know, the ladies, they might be about frazzled after a whole day with the little ones and just all kinds of things going on. And... And now the husband comes home and he's already spent all his patience with the employees or whatever. And you're just waiting for a, a patient husband to come home and help you out. 
and he's just waiting to come home and be able to just vend a little bit from all his frustrations of the day. And so we, we, this rubs a bit. You know, we talked earlier about Satan's determination to destroy our homes. Satan knows all too well that at the heart, each of us are selfish individuals. And that's where he can get us. He knows that if he can get us all wrapped up in ourselves, the rest is quite easy. The tension in the home, the marriage problems, and you know the, the home eventually will break up. There'll be fights. And he can, at the very least, he can rob that home of the peace and joy that they once had and that God intended. It's a result of selfishness. We're talking this evening about Christianity that works at home. Let's turn our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Paul starts out here with a number of things to do with Christian living. And then in about the middle of the chapter or so, he, he goes right into family relationships. And I think there's a connection. Let's read, starting at verse 1. Colossians 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When God, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but God is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, 
teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the, God, to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. We'll stop reading there. Paul starts out admonishing us to set our affections on things above. You know, misplaced affections do great damage to the Christian home. And we see that time and time again. It causes tension in the home. It causes financial difficulties when we're all wrapped up in things and our love for things and our love for pleasure and love for that which has nothing to do with the eternal perspectives of life. And so misplaced affections can cause so much tension in the home. We love things rather than people, and that causes problems. Living with an eternal perspective is Christ's design and Christ's plan for our homes. That we think of eternity when we make purchases, when we make plans, when we go about daily life, that we're thinking of eternity. Putting off the old man. You know, when we have reoccurring problems in our home, is it a fair question to say, hey, have I really put off the old man? Or is this the old man that's coming up here? and causing these problems? I think it is. I think that is a fair question. The old habits, the old attitudes, if that's just there, and it's there, and it's there, we have not put off the old man. Putting on the new man. I would describe it this way. Putting on the new man is seeing situations as Jesus would see them. Seeing people. As Jesus would see them, the people, the people right in our home, seeing them as Jesus would see them. You know, homes, and, and I think maybe sometimes this is more obvious in, in larger families, that uh, they kind of develop a pecking order of such. Um, how many of you come from a family of at least six? Um, okay. So, you know, a little bit uh, what, what this is like. You know, there's, there's those that kind of lead out and make things happen, and there's others that kind of watch things happen, and, and we, we kind of have, kind of know where our place is. Uh, when we see people as Jesus sees them, everybody gets treated the same. Everybody gets treated the same. That's how Jesus does it. And when we do that in our homes, that helps. That helps a lot to make things go much better. I was uh, speaking at a youth group, not in Gladys, but a youth group somewhere else, and uh, asked the youth to you know, close your eyes 
And how many of you think your parents have a favorite? Raise your hand. And there's two sisters. Raise their hands. I don't know if they were talking about each other. They have other family members, but they're probably both talking about somebody else maybe. I don't know. But it was their hands shot up. They were sure that, that their parents had, had a favorite child. And it probably wasn't them. I, would, I was guessing, but I don't know. Looking for opportunities to treat people like Jesus would treat them. That's what it means to be a Christian at home. Forbearing and forgiving each other. And then we come to verse 14 and it says this. And above all things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now if I understand that word bond... It's, it's a very similar word to the word ligament. It's that which holds together, just like a ligament holds bones together. The bond, love is the bond that holds things together. And then he goes on in verse 15 and he says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That word rule has the idea of referee. What, what does a referee do? Some of you guys, you play basketball or something. What, what's a referee do? Somebody tell me. What, is, what does he do? Okay, he makes sure you follow the rules. And following the rules protects the integrity of the game. If we don't follow the rules, the game turns into barnyard basketball, you know, just a free-for-all. But if there's a referee there, we follow the rules, and it protects the integrity of the game. I think what Paul is saying here, that the peace of God protects the integrity of the home. When we are sensitive to the peace of God in our hearts. Is it there? Isn't it there? If it's not there, why isn't it there? That is like the referee in the home. If the peace of God is there in each heart and we know that we're, we're at peace with God, then there's a home of integrity. But when we violate that, And we know we don't have peace, but we just plunge on because we want to. I want it this way. I want to do it this way, and I don't care. Then we're violating that peace, and we're losing the integrity of the home that God had meant there to be. Verses 16 and 17. Let's read these verses again and think of your home. I'll think of my home. Does this describe your home? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Does that describe your home? Does that describe my home? Is that how things happen? I think that's a fair question. That's what Paul's saying here. 
He's saying that's what should be happening. A family that that sings together, that worships together, that admonishes one another. You know, there's room for correction. It's here. We admonish one another. But whatsoever ye do in word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord. That, that's a beautiful home. That's a home where Christianity is at work and God can bless. When we live like that at home, then that paves the way for verses 18 through 21. That paves the way for sub- the submitting to happen, the loving to happen, the obeying to happen. If you try to live out verses 18 to 21, but you don't live out verses 1 through 17, you're going to have problems. Because it takes Christ living within us and us living a life like Jesus lived in order to submit to one another, to love one another, to obey. And for us fathers to to do our part in the home without provoking our children to anger. We must learn to be Christ-like in the home. We're talking here this evening about a commitment to Christ that makes a difference at home, where we spend so much of our time. Fathers, I'd like to talk to you just a bit. In a lot of ways, you're... Uh, the kingpin or whatever at home. If you do not take your role, then the family's going to suffer. Now, I'll grant you there are situations where fathers are just totally losing it and, and a godly mother can do amazing things. I'm not undermining that at all. God can work with situations however they are. We We talked about that earlier with Esther and Moses and Daniel. God is not limited. But God's intention is that there's a godly father and a godly husband that leads out in the home. Fathers, did you know that how you conduct yourself in the home can make it hard or easy for your family to understand scripture? Did you know that? I firmly believe that. Let me read a few passages. Psalm 103.13. Like as a father, the King James uses pitieth, it's compassion. Like as a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for them that fear him. Now if if you grew up in a home where your father was mean and and angry and never treated you right, what does that verse mean to you? That like as a father has compassion on his children, that's how God is going to have compassion on those that fear him. That verse don't mean anything to you. If all you ever had was an angry father, you can't understand that verse because you don't, 
Father and compassion are, are opposites. They, they don't go together. Proverbs 3.12, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as the Father, the Son in whom he delighteth. A son that feels like the Father delights in him. Now, if you grew up in a home where, where your father loved you and your father praised you and, and he wanted you to learn to do new things and, and complimented you when you did well, that verse makes sense. And when you did wrong, he punished you, but you knew he loved you and he wanted you to do better. That verse makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's like my dad. That's how God is. And, and, and we start understanding that scripture is saying that God is like my daddy, the daddy I grew up with. And that, that connects. 1 Thessalonians 2.11 As ye know how to, we exhort and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. This is Paul talking about him and his co-workers. He's using this relationship, father to his children. Luke eleven thirteen, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Fathers, we have a tall order to be the kind of godly men that when our children and our wives read these verses, that it makes sense that these verses bear out the kind of experience they've had with us as fathers. And it's a privilege. It's a privilege for you children. If you're growing up in a home where you have a loving, godly father, you should thank him. Thank God. Thank your father. Because that's a wonderful blessing. It does so much for you getting a good start in your Christian life and being able to understand scripture and understand God and the, the kind of relationship God wants to have to you, with you. It's just like that loving relationship you have with your father. And I would guess there's people sitting here tonight. I don't know you that well. But there's probably people sitting here tonight saying, I know what you're talking about but I know it in the bad sense because I, I didn't have that kind of a father. And, and I struggle. I struggle with seeing God as a loving God. There's probably people here that feel that. Husbands. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Jeremiah 31, 32, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. Husbands, are we the kind of husbands that our wives can read that verse? And that means, wow, God took care of those people. He was like a husband unto them. Does that make sense to our wives that that was a good God, that was a loving God? Husbands, did you know that your conduct in the home affects your ability to communicate with God? 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife 
as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. If your prayers are going nowhere, is it possible that you're not living like a Christian at home and it's cutting off that communication with God? We're talking this evening about Christianity that works at home. What are the patterns of behavior inside the four walls of your home as you reflect on your home here tonight? Is our commitment to Christ, is it making a difference in our home? Or is our home just an average home in the community? Do we have a happy home? Is our home a place of refuge and security for our children that when they're there, they feel secure? This is a good place to be. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Is that how our children feel? Like we mentioned, Satan has a plan to to destroy our homes, but it doesn't need to happen. Our God is much greater. Our God has much more power than Satan. If our affection is on Christ and we have put off the old man, the old lifestyle, and we've put on the new life, the Christian life, and we're little Christs in our homes, then Satan is never going to destroy our home if we're little Christs at home. When Christianity is working at home, in my home, in your home, It makes a difference in the church. Strong Christian homes are good building material to build strong churches. Strong churches make a difference in the community around us. And it has a far-reaching effect on future generations. And we can see children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren following this Christ-like example that God had planned for the home. So let's take this serious. Let's go home and let's be Christ-like at home. And it will, it will make a difference. Let's bow our heads for prayer and then we could have a closing song and you consider yourselves dismissed. We'll stand as we pray. Shall we stand?